Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We don't think all that much about the afterlife, about heaven and hell, at least I don't. But when we do, we've got questions, a lot of questions. One of my favorite jokes about what happens after we die comes in a from the cartoon South Park. In it, there is a crowd of people looking towards a man at a podium in a tie holding a clipboard. There are flames rising behind the crowd. The guy with the clipboard announces, well, you're all dead and this is hell. A man in the crowd cries out, hey, wait a minute, I shouldn't be here. I was a strict and devout Protestant. I thought we got into heaven. Well, you were wrong, says the greeter. Another guy protests, I was a practicing Jehovah's Witness. You picked the wrong religion as well, he is told. Finally, a voice cries out, who was right? Who gets into heaven? The guy with the clipboard looks down and then answers, I'm afraid it's the Mormons. Yes, Mormons was the correct answer. The crowd groans as if they just learned their answer was wrong during Trivial Pursuit or a history test. While it's funny to think of that there is only one denomination getting into heaven, though we hope it's not so, and we don't want to have to worry about guessing correctly, I know that we do have serious questions about what's next. In fact, we have lots of questions about many of the things we say we believe as Christians. People often ask me questions about who they will see in heaven. Beloved family members and friends. More importantly, will our cats and dogs be there? We wonder if people who've committed grievous wrongs, and you can imagine whomever you like here, will those people be there? These are real questions. They dig into our theology and what we believe about God. Now for some of the questions I can point to what scripture says. For others, it's much less clear. After all, I often tell people no one other than Jesus has yet come back to tell us exactly what happens after we die. So we might be tempted to make fun of the Sadducees, these religious authorities questioning Jesus about resurrection with their unlikely example. Unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, but like the Pharisees, they're trying to figure out who this Jesus is and what he believes. By whose authority is he teaching and acting? What does he have to say about resurrection? Now the Sadducees are definitely trying to test Jesus, but I think they do have a real question. If resurrection is real as you say it is, just how is it going to work? 
And how does it work given our tradition of leveret marriage found in many cultures wherein the brother of a deceased man is obliged to marry his brother's widow? And so they ask this question. Jesus, if a man's brother dies leaving a widow but no children, the man should marry the widow and raise up a family for his brother. Well now, there were seven brothers. The eldest married a wife and died without children. The second and the third married her and then each of the seven and they all died without children. Finally, the woman died as well. So in the resurrection, whose wife will the woman be? Perhaps they are waiting with bated breath, hoping for a clear answer as in South Park. They want Jesus to say the answer is the seventh. She will be the wife of the seventh man she married. Or perhaps they're hoping to stump Jesus to show that he's no religious authority. Or perhaps they're hoping to show that they're right. Resurrection just does not make sense. Whatever answer they wanted, whatever theological questions they have, the Sadducees don't get exactly what they're looking for. I dare say most of us rarely get the clear, definitive answers we are looking for when we ask questions about God. How many times must I forgive someone who's hurt me? Well, Jesus says 70 times 7. Okay, but what exactly does forgiveness look like? That's a little less clear. Is sex before marriage wrong? Well, religion down the ages will usually say yes, but scripture's fairly quiet on that subject. Shh, don't tell. How does the Trinity work? How can we be created in the image of God and still do so much evil? Where do I go after I die? Will I see those I love? I could go on and on, and so could you, with questions about our faith. And just as Jesus doesn't get annoyed with the Sadducees' question, he wouldn't get annoyed with us. After all, the life of faith matters. What we believe matters. What we believe affects how we live our lives and how we treat others. And despite South Park's Mormon answer to the question of who gets into heaven, there really doesn't seem to be an easy one-word answer to most of our questions, despite some denominations and priests and pastors saying that's not so. No, Jesus doesn't provide a pithy, easy-to-digest answer. In fact, he doesn't answer the question at all. Rather, he changes our focus. He helps us see that so many of our questions, while real, while meaningful, while important, so many of them might not get at the main thing. So here, Jesus doesn't so much answer the question as point to the truth. God is bigger than we can imagine. Our ideas about God are too small. They're too limited. That's not our fault. 
After all, we've got to live with time and space as they are and with the brains that we've been given. But God's reality is generous and loving, not bound by our ideas of marriage here on earth, not limited by what we can imagine about what happens after we die. So Jesus doesn't provide a simple answer nor complain about their questions. Instead, he offers a vision, a vision that is large and imaginative, more hopeful than the Sadducees' vision of a cramped afterlife where we are bound by the rules of this one. He offers hope of resurrection without having to hammer out all the details, and he opens up scripture in new and surprising ways. Jesus promises that when resurrection occurs, we will be complete, but different, like angels. And we know this because Moses himself encounters God at the burning bush, and God announces, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Though all three had died, God speaks in the present tense. Thus, Jesus says, God is still their God. Our God is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. And to God, all, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all those whom we love but see no longer, to God, all are alive and in God's presence. Death is not the end. We are never dead to God. Though we die, we shall never be separated from the God with whom we live and move and have our being. Jesus' response to the Sadducees is graceful and creative and hopeful. He doesn't exactly answer the question, but refocuses them and us on God, God's self, a God of love who offers hope, a God who defeats death. Now that does not mean that belief is easy. It does not mean that we don't and won't have questions and doubts, but I think it means that a sincere life of faith is one in which we approach God, approach scripture, approach theology and creeds, and one another with humility, with love, with hope. Beloved, there's much I don't understand there are times when I question our faith, wondering where God is and wondering what happens after we die. But I believe. I believe for belief, hope, and love are so much better than a perfect, easy, one-word answer. They are also true. We have questions, that's okay. The answer's not easy, it's not simple, but it's true. Our God is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.